0: Chapter One of Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ralph Snellson. Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter One. Belgian and Arab. Lieutenant Albert Werper had only the prestige of the name he had dishonored to thank for his narrow escape from being cashiered. At first he had been humbly thankful, too, that they had sent him to this cod-forsaken Congo post instead of court-martialing him, as he had so justly deserved. But now six months of the monotony, the frightful isolation, and the loneliness had wrought a change. The young man brooded continually over his fate, his days were filled with morbid self-pity which eventually engendered in his weak and vacillating mind a hatred for those who had sent him here for the very men he had at first inwardly thanked for saving him from the ignominy of degradation He regretted the gay life of Brussels, as he never had regretted the sins which had snatched him from that gayest of capitals, and as the days passed he came to center his resentment upon the representative in Congoland of the authority which had exiled him, his captain and immediate superior. This officer was a cold, taciturn man, inspiring little love in those directly beneath him, yet respected and feared by the black soldiers of his little command. Werper was accustomed to sit for hours glaring at his superior as the two sat upon the veranda of their common quarters, smoking their evening cigarettes in a silence which neither seemed desirous of breaking. The senseless hatred of the lieutenant grew at last into a form of mania. The captain's natural taciturnity he distorted into a studied attempt to insult him because of his past shortcomings. He imagined that his superior held him in contempt, and so he chafed and fumed inwardly, until one evening his madness became suddenly homicidal. He fingered the butt of the revolver at his hip, his eyes narrowed and his brows contracted. At last he spoke. You have insulted me for the last time, he cried, springing to his feet. I am an officer and a gentleman, and I shall put up with it no longer, without an accounting from you, you pig the captain an expression of surprise upon his features turned toward his junior he had seen men before with the jungle madness upon them the madness of solitude and unrestrained brooding and perhaps a touch of fever he rose and extended his hand to lay it upon the other's shoulder quiet words of counsel were upon his lips but they were never spoken werper construed his superior's action into an attempt to close with him his revolver was on a level with the captain's heart and the latter had taken but a step when werper pulled the trigger without a moan the man sank to the rough planking of the veranda and as he fell the mist that had clouded werper's brain lifted so that he saw himself and the deed that he had done in the same light that those who must judge him would see them he heard excited exclamations from the quarters of the soldiers and he heard men running in his direction they would seize him and if they didn't kill him they would take him down the congo to a point where a properly ordered military tribunal would do so just as effectively though in a more regular manner werper had no desire to die never before had he so yearned for life as in this moment that he had so effectively forfeited his right to live the men were nearing him what was he to do He glanced about as though searching for the tangible form of a legitimate excuse for his crime, but he could find only the body of the man he had so causelessly shot down. In despair he turned and fled from the oncoming soldiery. Across the compound he ran, his revolver still clutched tightly in his hand. At the gates a sentry halted him, Werper did not pause to parley or to exert the influence of his commission. He merely raised his weapon and shot down the innocent black. A moment later the fugitive had torn open the gates and vanished into the blackness of the jungle, but not before he had transferred the rifle and ammunition belts of the dead sentry to his own person. All that night Werper fled farther and farther into the heart of the wilderness, now and again the voice of a lion brought him to a listening halt but with cocked and ready rifle he pushed ahead again more fearful of the human huntsman in his rear than of the wild carnivora ahead dawn came at last but still the man plodded on all sense of hunger and fatigue were lost in the terrors of contemplated capture he could think only of escape he dared not pause to rest or eat until there was no further danger from pursuit and so he staggered on until at last he fell and could rise no more. How long he had fled he did not know or try to know. When he could flee no longer, the knowledge that he had reached his limit was hidden from him in the unconsciousness of utter exhaustion. And thus it was that Achmet Zek, the Arab, found him. Achmet's followers were for running a spear through the body of their hereditary enemy, but Achmet would have it otherwise, First he would question the Belgian. It were easier to question a man first and kill him afterward than kill him first and then question him. So he had Lieutenant Albert Werper carried to his own tent, and there slaves administered wine and food in small quantities until at last the prisoner regained consciousness. As he opened his eyes he saw the faces of strange black men about him, and just outside the tent the figure of an Arab, nowhere was the uniform of his soldiers to be seen the arab turned and seeing the open eyes of the prisoner upon him entered the tent i am achmet zek he announced who are you and what were you doing in my country where are your soldiers achmet zek werper's eyes went wide and his heart sank he was in the clutches of the most notorious of cutthroats a hater of all europeans especially those who wore the uniform of belgium for years the military forces of belgian congo had waged a fruitless war upon this man and his followers a war in which quarter had never been asked nor expected by either side but presently in the very hatred of the man for belgians werper saw a faint ray of hope for himself he too was an outcast and an outlaw so far at least they possessed a common interest and Werper decided to play upon it for all that it might yield. "'I have heard of you,' he replied, "'and was searching for you. My people have turned against me. I hate them. Even now their soldiers are searching for me, to kill me. I knew that you would protect me from them, for you too hate them. In return I will take service with you. I am a trained soldier. I can fight, and your enemies are my enemies.' Achmet Zek eyed the European in silence. In his mind he revolved many thoughts, chief among which was that the unbeliever lied. Of course there was the chance that he did not lie, and if he told the truth then his proposition was one well worthy of consideration, since fighting men were never over plentiful, especially white men with the training and knowledge of military matters that a European officer must possess. Achmet Zek scowled, and Werper's heart sank. But Werper did not know Achmet Zek, who was quite apt to scowl where another would smile, and smile where another would scowl. And if you have lied to me, said Achmet Zek, I will kill you at any time. What return other than your life do you expect for your services? My keep only, at first, replied Werper, later, if I am worth more, we can easily reach an understanding. Werper's only desire at the moment was to preserve his life, and so the agreement was reached and Lieutenant Albert Werper became a member of the ivory and slave-raiding band of the notorious Achmet Zek. For months the renegade Belgian rode with the savage raider. He fought with a savage abandon and a vicious cruelty fully equal to that of his fellow desperadoes, achmet zek watched his recruit with eagle eye and with a growing satisfaction which finally found expression in a greater confidence in the man and resulted in an increased independence of action for werper achmet zek took the belgian into his confidence to a great extent and at last unfolded to him a pet scheme which the arab had long fostered but which he never had found an opportunity to effect with the aid of a european however the thing might be easily accomplished he sounded werper you have heard of the man men call tarzan he asked werper nodded i have heard of him but i do not know him but for him we might carry on our trading in safety and with great profit continued the arab for years he has fought us driving us from the richest part of the country harassing us and arming the natives that they may repay us when we come to trade. He is very rich. If we could find some way to make him pay us many pieces of gold, we should not only be avenged upon him, but repaid for much that he has prevented us from winning from the natives under his protection. Werper withdrew a cigarette from a jeweled case and lighted it. And you have a plan to make him pay? he asked. He has a wife, replied Achmek Zek, whom men say is very beautiful. She would bring a great price farther north, if we found it too difficult to collect ransom money from this Tarzan. Werper bent his head in thought. Achmek Zek stood awaiting his reply. What good remained in Albert Werper revolted at the thought of selling a white woman into the slavery and degradation of a Moslem harem. He looked up at Achmek He saw the Arab's eyes narrow, and he guessed that the other had sensed his antagonism to the plan. What would it mean to Werper to refuse? His life lay in the hands of this semi-barbarian who esteemed the life of an unbeliever less highly than that of a dog. Werper loved life. What was this woman to him, anyway? She was a European, doubtless a member of organized society. He was an outcast. The hand of every white man was against him. She was his natural enemy, and if he refused to lend himself to her undoing, Achmet Zek would have him killed. You hesitate, murmured the Arab. I was but weighing the chances of success, lied Werper, and my reward. As a European I can gain admittance to their home and table. You have no other with you who could do so much. The risk will be great. I should be well paid, a smile of relief passed over the raider's face. Well, said Werper, and Achmet Zek slapped his lieutenant upon the shoulder. You should be well paid, and you shall. Now let us sit together and plan how best the thing may be done. And the two men squatted upon a soft rug beneath the faded silks of Achmet's once gorgeous tent and talked together in low voices well into the night. Both were tall and bearded and the exposure to sun and wind had given an almost Arab hue to the Europeans' complexion. In every detail of dress, too, he copied the fashions of his chief, so that outwardly he was as much an Arab as the other. It was late when he arose and retired to his own tent. The following day Werper spent in overhauling his Belgian uniform, removing from it every vestige of evidence that might indicate its military purposes. From a heterogeneous collection of loot Achmet Zek procured a pith helmet and a European saddle, and from his black slaves and followers a party of porters, askari and tent-boys to make up a modest safari for a big-game hunter. At the head of this party Werper set out from camp. End of chapter 1